Your It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I am Dave. And uh, here we are again. You know, we're in quarantine land. Um, I'm at home, all that kind of stuff. And we've got something big coming up. And so Dave and I are utilizing this time to definitely um, do research and all that stuff. And really, um, we get to include you into our research. Um, So yeah, we have that uh, discussion slash, I guess you could say, debate coming up on the 27th. And so the past couple of episodes have been about uh, Dr. Howe and his apologetic and his problem with uh, presuppositionalism. And, you know, really, um, hopefully you're starting to starting to see that there is a little bit of overlap. We have a problem with um, generic presuppositionalism. And so in the vein of Scott Oliphant, um, you know, there is a term change that needs to be talked about, which is covenantal. Um, presuppositionalism, I guess you can say, or just covenantal apologetics. Um, so um, today um, we want to uh, discuss a recent video that came out from Dr. Richard Howe and uh, from another uh, live cast, video blog, whatever, um, about his sound refutation. Well, Adam, I am glad to get to join you today. Again, uh, you know, doing this remotely is a different beast in its own. But it's also really good, you know, I think for those who are listening on the podcast, it's really no big change. For those who watch the live stream, it is just a little bit of a different change for them. And uh, I apologize for that. But, you know, it's really cool to get to join you. I'm grateful for the hard work you've done to make it possible for me to join you in this. And I have to make a comment. You have your Luther shirt on today. Yes, I, I have my AW. I have my AW Pink shirt on. All you can't right. see it, but I my black aw pink shirt on so uh yeah, we we so stand we, are, on the, we stand on the backs of giants and so that's right you know, that's really whenever you think about covenantal apologetics that gets into it and uh, we talked about expository apologetics and all that and like it's just the uh multifaceted nature of um the glory of the triune god that revealed himself in the scriptures and so yeah we get to celebrate that um especially in light of the resurrection um whenever we know that Christ, um, you know, died, um, for a justif- or died for our sin, uh, raised for a justification and ascended and is on the throne, putting his enemies under his feet. And, uh, we can walk in the light of that resurrection, knowing that we have the hope to resurrect, knowing that it's not just us, but people in the past, um, who have, uh, gotten dirty with the scriptures and, um, really dug in and saw God revealing himself and basically God shutting their mouth and having to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of the triune God, all the fullness of God um, was in him and dwelled in him. And he took on human flesh. And uh, because of the gospel, um, you know, Jesus is the, where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And uh, Jesus is that Holy One, and he is insight into what objective reality that God made is because, well, Jesus made it. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's just awesome to be able to celebrate um, just all this stuff. And it's not just you and me, Dave. Um, we've got contemporaries, and uh, we have people in the past to... Uh, to uh, talk about and uh, you know Luther is one of those when it comes to his testimony um, that led him out of Catholicism um, into uh, whenever he nailed those 95 theses on the door you know it's 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 amazing that's right um, you know Adam I'm grateful for the really cool opportunity to have grown when it comes to my understanding of theology as a direct result of getting to work with you um, I know that we are now three years into this thing, so way cool stuff. And uh, congratulations on your uh, article uh, being cited and talked about in the pathway. So sure, great yeah. work. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. So Dave, um, you know, he's 
you know, I'm like Mr. Technical Director and stuff, and Dave, uh, he's a really good writer. He's the one that knows the ins and outs of the press and all that stuff. So um, anybody that gets the uh, Missouri Pathways um, paper, um, you'll see the release um, to uh, if you get it recently, you'll you'll see uh, that they actually put our discussion that's coming up on the 27th um, up in that uh, in that paper, which is pretty cool because that gets sent out to a lot of people. So um, we hope that there's some interest garnered um, because of that and that um, we can just uh, discuss the glory of God and inerrancy and uh, taking him at his word for um, how he says, uh, not how we say. That's right. I think you're right on with that, brother. Way yeah. cool stuff. So are you ready to uh, jump into a presuppositional meme and then we'll talk Dr. Howe? Yeah, Is that the so, uh, way we're going to do things? Way yeah, yeah. Cool. so we'll you split this uh, up again. We, we are continuing to talk about the same thing. <laughs> and so we want to do some split up time. And this time I don't have to sing my, uh, my little song, but uh, we've got uh, the uh, meme theology section all set up with a new little riff and, and stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy this in live land and you guys will on the podcast be able to enjoy this as well. But it is time for... All right, it is time for Meme Theology, and so I hope you guys enjoyed that little uh, track, because that's going to play every time that we get into the meme studio anyway, but it is Meme Theology, and uh, just uh, split up some time today. Um, This is a little meme that I saw um, yesterday that was shared by somebody and I wanted to talk about it, uh, but to uh, for the podcast listeners, um, let's describe this meme, Dave. Um, the meme is a picture of a nurse um, with a you know with the head thing on and the face mask on. Face mask has got the world uh, map sort of on it, and um, it's quoting a Bible verse that says, "Then I heard the voice of the Lord, whom shall I send, and who will go for us?" And I said, here I am. And it's, so it's taking Isaiah 6, 9 and putting it into the context of nursing, especially during this time of uh, the virus going around and all the hubbub and all the sickness and all that kind of stuff. And so I was looking at this and, you know, it's one of those things that this is a sensitive topic and we're not here to start fires, but there is some stuff to talk about. Yeah. So a few things I would say, number one, I'm always grateful when people uh, are demonstrating a real love for those who are serving. And right now, again, boy, if you know a nurse, if you know a doctor, if you know a physician's assistant, if you know anyone who's in the medical field in any way, uh, I just am so thankful for them, just like I am extremely thankful for those who are uh, serving our food and those who are uh, stacking our groceries for us. All awesome things. Um, So this is not an attack on anyone in any way, but it is a defense of the right use of Christian scripture. And so this is what I think you get when you have people trying to plug scripture in to every situation. What happens is, and as Christians, we should take to the defense of saying, you know what, I'm glad that you're looking at scripture, but I don't think you're looking at scripture in the way that a Christian would look at scripture. Scripture, according to Christians, is again, the anustas, it is God-breathed, and therefore we want to accurately use it. we can take a statement from Mein Kampf and probably turn it into a nice little meme that says something really nice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that Mein Kampf is good. Uh, it is human words. The Bible is not human words, and it speaks from a um, perspective of, again, uh, God's knowledge and God's context, and therefore we want to treat it with the utmost care, respect, and reverence because it comes from God. And so While a meme like this, I'm certain that whoever put it together did not mean to um, be a negative, you know, did not mean to misuse scripture, did not have any ill intent, really thought that they were probably doing something really nice. Uh, But the reality is what they were doing is uh, a great offense to the Christian because what we see is someone misusing scripture and someone using scripture in a way that is not consistent with the way that God was speaking to Isaiah. Mm -hmm. And therefore you rob scripture of what it's intended to do and to me it becomes offensive and of course we say what do you mean that's offensive for the christian when someone uses the words of god to say something or to represent them in a way that is not consistent with their intent that is offensive yeah yeah and so whenever i see this you know i see this uh you know i don't see the grocery store worker 
I don't see the car hops at Sonic. I don't mm. see, you know, all the people that are still working, um, you know, and they can take this and go like, well, you know, I'm still serving the public. And then, you know what? That's great. The thing is that we can tell people um, is that Peter has called us in the scriptures a, uh, a holy nation of prophets, priests, and kings. And so in God's kingdom, because of Christ, because Christ is the prophet, and so the only way that you can sort of take Isaiah, you can only overlay that onto Jesus Christ being the prophet. He is the one that's that right. was sent. And so we are that's ambassadors right. making our appeal. But see, whenever you get to the man side of the situation, you know, you have a body of parts that work together. And then this one puts, um, you know, it exalts nursing whenever there's a whole host of other people with gifts and been put in positions um, to serve during this time that are not in view here. Um, You know, just singles it out and lifts it up above. And so there's no equity in that. And so, you know, the thing is, you know, you've not only just twisted scripture because that's talking about God sending people sending needing or wanting to send somebody to his people to tell him, tell them the truth to repent. And when you're a doctor, you're not really doing that. Or when you're a nurse, you're not with, I mean, you, you, you are in one sense, hopefully preaching the gospel into every situation um, while you are there to uh, physically heal them. But then again, you know, you can't, you know, you can physically heal the person and save them for the next few years. They still die and uh, they are separated from God. Um, but we are all prophets, priests, and kings, and we cannot, you know, we should not um, display um, partiality um, and favoritism and all that kind of stuff because that's not the multifaceted wisdom of God. And so this, um, this picture, I don't know if you can order it or whatever, if it's just strictly a meme. Um, is just it should be highly offensive because that does not tell the truth. Um, it's the same uh, whenever people take Jeremiah's uh, expanding your borders and all that kind of stuff and, mm. and place it into the context um, of today. And you can't really do that. And we shouldn't be embarrassed um, that we can't well, do that. Yeah. And what's going to happen, Adam, is if someone were to, again, maybe take and clip this cut and be like, oh, man, um, the. Uh, Adam and Dave were just being jerks to nurses. They don't appreciate nurses. No, no, no. The most offensive thing is, I appreciate God. The most offensive thing is that God's word is being misrepresented. Yeah. Actually, this has nothing to do with nursing. This has nothing to do with someone who is a car hop. It has nothing to do with someone who is a grocery store worker. It has everything to do with proclaiming the gospel. Then you could say, well, I'm a Christian nurse. So I said, here am I, send me. It isn't about service as a nurse. It is about proclaiming the gospel. That's exactly what this is. It's an isolated context, right? Now, I don't think that a pastor is wrong for preaching this text in a commissioning service, right? By any means. I think actually that's a great way to use that. The response for the Christian should be, I want to go. I want to preach the gospel. And while I'm preaching the gospel, it might look like me putting on a nurse's gown and a cap and a face mask, certainly 100%. But the main mean means of this text is that you are going to go proclaim the gospel. Now, the Christian nurse, I actually think, can say, you know, I was called to nursing by God. That's exactly why I've gotten into nursing, to be the hands and feet of Christ all over, to be the one who heals. Uh, great, really good set, but this is strictly about Isaiah going to proclaim the gospel. God was saying who is going to go and proclaim the kingdom, right? Yeah. Not who is going to go into nursing. And again, that is not me trying, gosh, I believe that many, I'm 100% for um, every Christian lady, every Christian man uh, who is going to go into the nursing field. I affirm them completely, and I believe that God has certainly gifted them and called them to do that. But this is a missions-oriented verse. It has nothing to do with any generic nurse going into nursing, right? That's not what it's about. This isn't the context of the coronavirus. This is a call to missions that Yahweh is making uh, specifically to Isaiah, but then I do believe it has a greater contextual application to the way God calls all of us who are saved to go and proclaim the gospel. And that's how I would deal with this. In fact, I would tell you, use this as an opportunity to be like, wait a second, this verse doesn't have anything to do with nursing, has everything to do with Christians being accountable to preach the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's one of those things, as we always say, I guess, uh, since our 100th episode about meme theology, think 
before you meme. Slow down. Really think about uh, what you're doing. And that, I mean, that'll put you in a devotional status. What does that, uh, you know, what does that passage mean? Um, what is its context and all that kind of stuff? Um, and let it, let it lead you um, to the truth of what the Father has spoken, what, the, what Jesus has spoken, what the Holy Spirit has spoken, what the triune God has spoken um, to get that to then motivate you the right way and not the wrong way. Now, because we're in this together. Again, we're a body. And uh, every part has its own place, and it's not exalted above the other. Unfortunately, um, we do look at that as a hierarchy. And unfortunately, when somebody sees this, they'll be like, oh, look, nurses are uh, the bomb.com right now, and everybody else is little. And it's like, no, no. The gospel says you're not little. Um, you have been given a gift. Um, and the time that you were born was of God and his decision. Um, the gift that you have is of God and his decision, and uh, we are all supposed to go, how do we use this um, collectively as the called out assembly of people, the elect, and uh, proclaim as we have been told to go and uh, make disciples. Um, so that's a, that's a little bit of a mean theology today, but uh, you know, partial truths lead to whole untruths, and uh, that's really what uh, we're going to deal with. Um, when it comes to uh, presuppositionalism versus classical apologetics, however you want to say it, um, um, whenever we get into the discussion. So I guess uh, let's go back to this, the normal studio now, and let's uh, start digging in on our main topic today um, of uh, Dr. Howe's sound refutation. So Dave, I know that you've been spending time uh, watching it along with me in a way, um, but uh, do you have any uh, preliminary thoughts before we start digging in? All right, so sound refutation. I would assume the meaning of sound refutation to be I am going to point by point work through very organized elements of this methodology and I'm going to deconstruct them. As a Christian, I would think that you would go to scripture to deconstruct anything. That's going to be the fundamental difference that you're going to see from the very beginning. It's not, let me show you from scripture. Now, here's the problem, right? In any other context, where is Dr. Howe going to go to for his authority to dismiss something? Yeah. Why would I say that? I've heard him, and if you've listened to the program or watched the program, you've heard him talk about the age of the earth. Where does he go to for his final authority on that? He says, well, the Bible says this. And he'll say very clearly, well, my brother is uh, a Hebrew professor, and he just says the Hebrew won't work in that way. So, wait a second, that's interesting. Now, I would also say this, I don't know this for sure about Dr. Howe, but I would assume that when he talks about different um, anthropological problems, you know, problems with man, um, where is he going to go first? He's going to say, well, the problem with human beings is that they have a sin problem. His ultimate authority then comes from what scripture says about man, right? In the counseling setting, let's say that he is dealing with a man who deals with same-sex attraction. Where is he going to go for his authority with that man in the counseling session to say, brother, here is why you, what, you're, what you're feeling is sin. He's going to go to scripture. But for some reason, when it comes to apologetic methodology, He's going to switch course. Um, this happens with folks like Sproul. God bless. I love uh, Sproul is great. I tell everyone who comes to our church gets a free copy of uh, the holiness of God, right? Mm -hmm. um, we give that out. Um, we give out another one of um, Sproul's books, uh, What Does God's Law Have to Do With Me? And then we give out another little book on um, the Lord, right? Um, and so... Um, you know, I really respect uh, these folks, but what you see is a shift in their methodology. You know, yeah. go up the road to, uh, for me anyways, and for you, go up the road to Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Listen to their counseling session, right? They do biblical counseling. Why do they do biblical counseling? Because they recognize that according to God's word, um, we can know how to deal with every problem that comes to man because God's word is sufficient, right? Yeah. The issue that we have here when it comes to presuppositional apologetics and when it comes to classical apologetics is a similar problem that we see according to critical race theory in the Southern Baptist Convention. How is it 
that we ultimately define what is wrong with man. Is it according to men devised philosophies or is it according to what God's word says? Yeah. And so you'll see that problem. Sorry, I went off on a little tangent no, no, there, Adam. No, 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 no. That's that, I mean, that just uh, gives you just sort of Dave's, um, you know, understanding. And, you know, I am in agreement. It is. Uh, and if you watch my Facebook page, circle versus circle, which one? And I mean, that's the way Scott Oliphant uh, starts out in Covenantal Apologetics after he had a, when he describes a discussion he had in, uh, with Kantians, um, you know, the, on the secular side or whatever, and then uh, him and his position, it's just like, you know, why should I choose your circle over mine? Um, you know, mm-hmm. And so that's the same sort of thing. Why should I choose your circle over my circle? Um, you know, and... and People are unconscious of this. If the you know if the Bible is the revealed scriptures, then um, there's suppression of the truth. There's all that. So this is a theological issue um, that's uh, between us and Doctor Howe um, on this, and so that'll come to light. But uh, let's uh, dig into the video. I've got it right here. We're starting uh, two minutes and thirty eight seconds in, where the real discussion starts, and we'll uh, start. I've got it on one point five speed for you guys. Uh, so you're not just hearing anything weird. It is going to go faster just so we can get through it a little faster. So anyway, let's dig in, Dave. One of the things that Oliphant defines very clearly in covenantal apologetics is he puts forward the, the very true reality in my mind. Um, the very reason that we debate between, uh, there's a debate between classical apologists and there's a debate between presuppositionalists is our respective authorities are in conflict. Yeah. And, and that's the reality. Yeah. And then by, by the way, I'm not saying that anyone who's a classical apologist isn't saved. Um, yeah. God bless every single classical apologist. I just think they're being inconsistent, and uh, I'm not going to use their method. Um, I will preach the gospel with them, but I think that this is an inner, uh, an inner squad debate. How's that? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. it's worth having. It's called sanctification and growing into the head, which is Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there you go. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. So lay out what that view is and maybe some of the competing views, and then from there we'll look at arguments. So within, within evangelicalism, I think the two basic or major camps of how we do apologetics are divided into what I sometimes call the classical approach, or some people might call it an evidential approach on the one hand, and then the presuppositionalism on the other. And there's, there's a range within each one. Okay. Uh, Where would Reformed epistemology fall in there? Well, actually, Reformed epistemology would be a third category. Okay. That is, it, I only left it out because it's not as prominent among evangelicals as it might be within a more broad spectrum of Christianity. Okay. And it's general- Adam, do you want to speak to Reformed epistemology? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, he's going to say Alvin, Alvin Plantanga's uh, reformed mm. epistemology. No, he's not. Uh, but this, uh, so he says that, uh, there are two categories here. We've got classical, what he calls evidential, you know, whatever they're synonymous in a way they're not. Um, and then presuppositional, um, and then reformed epistemology is a third thing. Uh, well, n- no. Um, so uh, from the, from agreed. the very beginning, um, he is confused. So he doesn't know our position. So hopefully we can be able to spell this out for him in our discussion and, and get this out of the way. But, uh, no, there's actually evidentialism, which is not classical apologetics. Okay. Evidentialism is purely secular thought. So that's why we do not, um, really, we do not, I don't even want to tell people to read William Lane Craig. <laughs> if yeah. I can find somebody else, um, that's, cl- if somebody's classical and doing some evidential stuff, you know, I, I wouldn't mind handing out, okay, here, here's this, but you're still not going to make sense of it to somebody else without the Holy spirit. Right. But you know, I'll, I'll give somebody classical because they're actually trying to get, they're trying to get scripture in there, but I will do the warnings and caveats of that position. So evidentialism, and then there's inconsistent evidentialism which is classical apologetics. <laughs> and then there's inconsistent presuppositionalism. And then there's presuppositionalism, re- reformed epistemology. Um, there's a guy named Cornelius Van Til that wrote a book about yeah. reformed epistemology. So if you want reformed epistemology, right <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want reformed epistemology, you want Cornelius Van Til because that's what he dealt <laughs> with was, was, uh, the authority of the triune God in Revelation, the one and many problem, all these things to know um, uh, what is knowledge, then uh, we, you've got to take it from Reformed epistemology. So that is the presuppositional position. But then it's that Reformed epistemology that leads, or well, 
should lead you and lead and has led an elephant to understand Van Til was about reformed faith, right? So covenantal apologetics. So whenever mm-hmm. you're talking about presuppositionalism plus reformed epistemology, you have covenantal apologetics. Bingo. And I think that that's the key piece. Yeah. Um, covenantal apologetics is, again, the thing is, Van Til didn't call it presuppositional apologetics. No. He actually just called it. It was labeled that way and he went with it, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but the, you know, so what, what, what Oliphant points out is again, my circle, your circle, their circle, whatever, which circle. Mm-hmm. And so everybody does operate out of, again, a network of, you know, a worldview, which is a network of presuppositions that are unscientifically proven or else you can't move. Everybody has a starting point consciously or unconsciously. Um, that's what, what Bonson would would uh would say um but we are um you know we can talk we can join together about particulars but we got to get to what kind of god exists well god has made the claim we're not making the claim god has made the claim and we have to believe it jesus um was waiting for that claim to be said peter who do you say that i am you are the son of god that's right that's what jesus wants jesus doesn't want mere facts and then you just hold the facts jesus wants your heart and gosh, I know, uh, you know, I, I, I hope that we'll get a little bit farther into it, yeah. but like, we're probably not going to get to the end today, Yeah. <laughs> but at the end, the guy who is doing the interview with how says, well, I just love how at the end of his debates, William Lane Craig always gives a gospel message. And I'm thinking, why wait to the end? Yeah. Yeah. Why God, God said, the that says message? the Lord. That's why, <laughs> you know, why doesn't he do that? Yeah. You know? The eye is what it is because thus says the Lord, he created it. (laughs) This is not to be a, not to be a picky and I'm grateful. I want to make sure I'm really glad that Dr. Craig gives the gospel at the end. Yeah. But why not start with the gospel? Yeah. Why not start with the gospel? Yeah. Sorry. Oh, you're cool. Sorry. Hit play. Sorry, man. Generally uh, held by people with a little bit more of a philosophical orientation. So it would be the, the approach of say Alvin Plantinga. Uh, taking his uh, philosophy of proper basicality and warrant and these things and applying that to the task of apologetics. So it's kind of a different animal than either presuppositionalism or the classical yeah, approach. So tell me more about those two approaches and the, the two main approaches. So in <laughs> fact, uh, Cornelius Van Til, who's the fountainhead of American presuppositional thought, who was a professor at Westminster Seminary in the early 20th century, in effect says that any argument for the existence of God that concludes God cannot be the God of Christianity because the God of Christianity in his, his estimation has to be the presupposition of all argument. Have truths do not equal mm-hmm. whole truths. Okay, so Cornelius Van Til said, or did not say that you can't, okay, that you can't in the sense that what he is, he is trying to make here. The fact is, Cornelius Van Til, Cornelius, well, man, Cornelius Van Til says that it won't lead. So there's a difference between can't and won't. We recognize that everything leads to God. Creation, nature is authoritative it's authoritative enough to damn somebody um eternally in and of itself but yeah so it's not that it can't it's just the fact that it won't but that fact is derived from scripture alone not man's reasoning and so um you know i can read on uh, i've got uh, van till's defense of the of the faith and at least in my copy it's on page 100 he says the issue between believers and non-believers in Christian theism cannot be settled by a direct appeal to facts or laws whose nature and significance is already agreed upon by both parties to debate. The question is rather as to what is the final reference point required to make the facts and laws intelligible. The question is as to what the facts and laws really are. So, unregenerate man looks at something and says it's a fact, we say something different and makes it a fact because of God, and then they are on their reasoning. So we don't agree on what facts are. What makes mm-hmm. a fact a fact? They, they might say, well, morality, well, they're using morality to prove morality. They're in a circle. Um, they're using um, you know, the, the uh, present to go in the past to get into the future. That's a big circle. They, they, they just say that there's brute facts again, they, they but they can't, they're not scientifically proven. <laughs> they're not proven at all. And so, so that's, that's the thing. So it's not that Van Til said that 
it can't. Now, in a fallen world sense, yeah, it can't lead to God. But it will lead to God because that's just objective reality. And you recognize that, but you're not recognizing the other side of the coin, which is the depravity of man. Um, so, you know, if you need, uh, you know, if you need anything, I've got a printout and maybe if you wanted a printout, I could print it out for everybody that would come into contact. How about you make it available on the, on the website? Yeah. But this is the 10 tenets of covenantal apologetics. Just simply put, it's in his book. The information is accessible to guys like Dr. Howe. And this would clearly spell out just our position. Um, and this is from it. I, I typed this out for a, a presentation that I had a few years ago on it but it's just the 10 tenets and you know that's that's one of them um man is obligated to know god because they are is obligated to god because they know them you have two status of humanity there's no neutrality um total but not absolute depravity um just all these things are right here and in that book it spells it out he should know these things but again he is just he's only showing like he if you don't know presuppositionalism or covenantal apologetics then you're listening to him he act, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about but unfortunately, there's some disconnect here, and it is going to be starting point. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I was actually just kind of thumbing through my, uh, while well, you had uh, Van Til's defense of the Christian faith, I was pulling up my, uh, excuse me, you had, it was uh, defending, the defense of the faith is what you had in front of you. Yeah. I had uh, in front of me uh, the uh Christian apologetics, which is, of course, by Van Til as well. Um, and I was uh, just opening up to the chapter on the point of contact, and uh, it is uh, very, very, uh, you know, informative when it comes to the starting points as well. Um, he says, uh, essentially, um, in his chapter, Point of Contact, that the question of the starting point then is largely determined by one's theology. He talks about how the fallen man really has no consistent starting point, right? Uh, the man in sin has no starting point. While they do have an intellect that is um, still useful in some means, it's not able or really completely capable to deal with the God of Scripture, right? He says the intellect of fallen man may, as such, be keen enough. It can therefore formally understand the Christian position. It may be compared to a buzzsaw that is sharp and shining, ready to cut the boards that come to it. Uh, in other words, right, starting point is a key piece, and that is where you're going to see the fundamental problem. Yeah, yeah. Dr. So, I mean, it's, you have theology proper, mm-hmm. and then the next thing you have is your starting point. What do you get from theology? And then the rest yes. is from there. And so these are the two contentions. Um, it's definitely a theological issue. So again, like in that quote talked about, you know, the intelligence, you know, the Bible talks about how, um, you know, the wicked scheme, the wicked have intelligence to scheme because they're made mm. in the image of God. But it's that intelligence that they've used to twist creation and nature. And so it's not an intellectual issue, it's an ethical issue, and that is why you cannot reason with the natural man and get to God. So in that sense, you can't. But does Dr. Howe understand the distinction of why we say it can't? Because we do recognize both. It can, and it should, and that's why it's authoritative, and that's why man will be damned. So yes, you are correct. It can, but again, half-truths don't equal, you know, don't don't make a full truth. A partial truth is not a full truth, so it's a whole and lie, as J.I. Packer said. Yeah, and to quote uh, Dr. Oliphant as well, any defense of the Christian faith that does not include the triune God is a defense of a false theism. Yeah. That's going to be the massive difference. He is going to tell you, I can present you with the classical arguments for the existence of God, and that will reason you to the triune God of Scripture. And I would say, no, you have made a mistake. Just because I got someone to believe in God doesn't mean that they believe in the one real God, right? Uh, that's the real fundamental difference between uh, where we're going to start with and where we're going to go. His yeah. goal is to get you to a God. Our goal is to get you to the only true self-existent God who is, again, immutable, who is, again, uh, aesthetic or independent and uh, who does have unity and that's the god that we're getting you to the triune god of scripture 
Yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing is he brings you to a point where you get to sit and be the judge over books. Mm. You get to be the judge over Allah's morality or Yahweh's morality or whatever. Um, we don't invite you to do that because God doesn't invite you to judge him. And I would tell you the so, problem that you get with that approach is you do run into folks who are like, man, I just hate to read the Exodus. Uh, I hate not the ex- yeah the Exodus because of the way God treats the Egyptians, and I hate to read uh, the Book of Joshua because of the way God treats the Canaanites. You come into it with a faulty presupposition that man is not evil, right? You yeah. then begin to be the one who defines that reality. That's backwards thinking. So again, right? Aristotelian uh, philosophy, which is and has uh, made Western philosophy for years. And it's the same mm-hmm. thing. And so you're swimming in the Tiber <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's what, you know, they, they assume a man's starting point from a long time ago, um, traditionally, <laughs> and they haven't sat there and, you know, this, this is the working out of reformation principles. I mean, that's why it's called that's reformed. Right. <laughs> so, you know, he basically, you're not, you know, if Dr. Howe has any, um, well, I am reformed. Well, no, you're not. So. <laughs> this is where we can prove. Oh, by the way, you, you might hear a little bit of coffee being made behind. That's okay. Yeah, let's uh, continue on here. So, in effect, Van Til would say the assumption or the presupposition of God is the necessary condition for all knowledge. Whereas the classical approach is going to say there are truths about reality that normal human beings with the faculties God has created us with. There are truths that we cannot. But my problem would be as human beings. My problem would those- be with that, Adam. Is and I would ask Doctor How this, and I look forward to getting his answer. How do we know that those faculties work right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, scripture, you, scripture tells us that they don't, <laughs> that they're in rebellion, that a sinner right. um, is enslaved mm-hmm. to sin, that we cannot please God. Repentance pleases God, so therefore we cannot repent. <laughs> so we are going Amen, to twist brother. everything. Amen. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, you got to do sola scriptura and tota scriptura in this. You can't just pull parts and pieces. Again, I, the, the constant thing is a half truth doesn't equal a whole truth, but it makes a whole lie. Yeah, you know, so. <laughs> right. With truths, a person can construct, we believe, a demonstrable argument for the existence of God. So it's just a basically a, a, a debate, if you will, over the propriety of Again, if, you're, if your mind is in submission to um, obey, the obedience of Christ, you can make an evidential go-back. But you're talking about apologetics. You're talking about talking to people that are in unbelief. They're not submitted to the lordship of Christ. They don't want the gospel. It smells like death to them. And so you cannot agree with them, get in their car, because you're going to go to their destination. Giving arguments yeah. and evidence primarily for God's existence. Are you familiar with Cy Ten Bruggen, Kate? Uh, only in as much as I've seen some of his stuff on the, on the internet. I, I don't know that I've had a steady diet. Yeah. The way in which he we'll does have to let him know, <laughs> hey, Dr. Howe, you have now crossed paths with Cy. We are your point of contact. Yeah, two, <laughs> two degrees of separation. <laughs> Right. That's just to say that uh, I don't know, in my opinion, whether I would categorize him as, uh, yeah, he's spot on with the Van Til Bonson approach or if he's got his own sort of take on it. That's actually the distinction I was trying to make there is like his his version of presuppositionalism is a lot different than I think what you described. Okay. Well, that may very well be. So I'll defer to you. It's very different from what Richard described because Richard doesn't know the position at all. So he can't make um, the claim on what he knows about Psy. And, you know, the guy recognizes, hey, we got something different here. And I understand Sai is very hyper, and I enjoy his hyperness. He's a he's a precept Chihuahua, and I love it. <laughs> but uh, you know that's that's the thing is Richard can't make these judgments because he really doesn't understand it at all. Your knowledge about that? He's just, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about him either. So, <laughs> so I've only you know, I've heard his name, I've seen him a few times, and just partial exchanges, but never really watched an, an entire debate. So you've inspired me maybe to go back because I would be curious as to how faithful he is. I, I take the presuppositional method to be best exemplified by greg bonson right as a disciple he's, of Antil. I think he did he a lot did. of debates oh, and everything oh, absolutely he's and everyone says that he's like just completely destroyed these guys the, the people he's debating and that's actually one of the things that people would say that why presuppositionalism is the best method so what's is because it's so effective well what's interesting about that observation i would allege is that whenever the presuppositionalist actually starts to construct an argument i've never seen them fail to do exactly yeah, and unfortunately um you know if you do like presuppositional apologetics you shouldn't be looking at how it destroys the other person right that's cage stage that's (laughs) don't bingo you don't destroy people um you should uh look at the you know so success is not in the destruction 
success is in the restoration because what? The gospel is restorative. And so we shouldn't be looking at, Greg Bonson totally destroyed it. Now, you can say, yeah, that's a, destru- that's a destruction of that argument because it led, they were led to absurdity. Um, but, you know, again, the, Greg Bonson's not the Holy Spirit, so he can't do what it takes to be actually biblically successful, which is to be restored to Christ. To be or to be destroyed to right. God through Christ, like the rest of creation is going to be that's someday. Right. So you know, um, if you're somebody out there that's watched a presuppositional debate and going, "Man, look at that guy get destroyed," and you're making fun of the guy, um, you are not consistent with the way you should be doing things. So yeah, no, we don't. Uh, the success rate is applying biblical truth to unbelief. That's what apologetics is. Therefore the more successful you are is based on the standard by how much um, biblical truth was applied, how consistent it was to scripture. And um, if that's the way you measure success, which is the way the Bible uh, measures success, then, you know, it doesn't matter if the person gets destroyed or not. Um, if they, you know, they can sit there and, and they can get beat up and humbled by the scripture or they can stay in their hardened rebellion. Um, that's not where the success is. You're looking at the wrong standard. Yeah. Amen. I, I agree that I just have to reemphasize that the goal is never to be destroyed, to, to destroy someone in an argument. Yeah. Um, in fact, actually, let me put it in a better way. No, the goal is to destroy someone's heart of stone, yeah. but we're not the ones who do that. Christ does that by his spirit. Yeah. The goal is to reduce someone to through the power of the Holy Spirit to the reality that they have been reduced to absurdity and they have no other option but to call out to the triune God who made them and can save them from their own sin and from the forthcoming wrath. Um, yeah. That is what, that's what our goal is every time. And, um, you know, uh, let me just say, it's easy for me sometimes to get more excited about the argument than I am about the God who created and the God who saved. And that is a sinful thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, anyone who's in apology, your goal is to win an argument. You've failed. Yeah. You've failed. Your goal is to gain a brother. Just don't say anything. Yeah. Don't just don't say anything. Yeah. And, and that is a good reminder that even for me, how's that? Good. Yeah. Let, yeah. let it preach to me. Yeah. So, so, so what they do, basically, this is what I think is a perennial mistake in all that I've read of all the presuppositionalist that I've read, including okay. Bonson's material, is that. When they define presuppositionalism, they say it this way. The assumption of God is the precondition of knowledge. But when they try to explain what that means, what they end up defending is God is the pre- precondition of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, God is the precondition of knowledge because he's the creator, right? Yeah. But God is not the same as the assumption of God. And what's so this is the whole ontology thing. So, the, Dave, this came up in your debate. Um, so this is yeah. a major issue, um, you know, conflating ontology, <laughs> you know. So, um, so explain that. Explain that. <laughs> So I will explain to the best of my ability. I don't want to pretend that I am a philosopher. I am not. I had one undergraduate course in philosophy um, at Southwest Baptist University under the tutelage of, uh, let's see, Dr. Zach Manis. And so I will let what Zach Manis has put into the public domain regarding theology speak for itself in that way. Anyone wants to read some of his stuff, and what he said about theology, please feel free to go to uh, Dr. Rodney Reeves' blog, and you can see the kind of stuff that uh, Manus puts forward. But with that said, um, when it comes to ontology versus epistemology, um, ontology is the study of being, right? Um, And then when you go to epistemology, the study of truth. So, the way, and I would like clarity from anyone who would give me, when they tell me that I am confusing ontology with epistemology, I would turn that and I would say, how can you know anything without yeah. truth? And this is a Truth has to speak for you to be able to know. Yeah, so nice this- critique. But your critique only makes sense outside in a universe where God doesn't exist. Yeah, and I mean, we all appeal. The triune God of Scripture doesn't exist. How's yeah, that? and we all we all appeal to the expert. That's the thing. How do I know it? Well, this scientist told me so. 
I read it in his papers. I'm believing his observation and his putting together of things. Um, So you believe the word of a being. And so uh, there's a guy, I'm a a part of a a group called Always Ready. I I really don't do a whole lot of commenting, but uh, I do like to sit back and uh, watch all these other people talk and um, just take in stuff and get fed um, through other people's um, apologetical encounters and subjects and stuff. But they were talking about this on Facebook. And um, um, a guy named uh, Joshua Pellows wrote an article and he said, the answer to the alleged confusion of ontology and epistemology within presuppositionalism can be summed up in literally one sentence. Why is the assumption of God a necessary precondition for knowledge? If man does not have knowledge of God at the outset, then he is helplessly entrapped in subjectivism. That's the entire answer. That's what uh, Joshua Hello, says. So again, we are believing. Could you send me that article, by the way? I would really yeah. be interested. Yeah, I can in send that to you. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, we believe a being that has all the attributes to be able to bind my conscience. <laughs> he created reality, right? Mm-hmm. And so if, if he has interpreted reality, you know, it's not a confusion of, of uh, the person and, and knowledge. It is the knowledge of the person. So, um, if you don't want to confuse and conflate these things, we'll stop believing doctors, stop trusting mm. them. Because again, knowledge comes from a mind and the mind is inside of a being. And so, okay. you know, you can either appeal to fallible man and all you've done is you, you just left it subjective. You've not let it objective, but if it's God who is infinite, who's created reality, who has all knowledge, who is all powerful, who has revealed himself to be that way though. I haven't come to that conclusion of that's what I need. I've started with that and then go um, forward from that. Then I can believe that being. And so that it becomes true knowledge because he knows everything. And so then my, my knowledge is analogous and derivative, not um, something completely different. Um, And and then, I mean, that gets into the whole um, Islam thing that comes up at the end of here. You know, God is unlike any of his creations. So my mind is nothing like Allah. So there's no correlation between Allah and the creature. Um, the triune God, there is a correlation and it's built there by the God who made the, the creature. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Interesting is this particular nuance point came out in Bonson's debate with R.C. Sproul in the late seventies. And when Sproul was trying to rehearse back to Bonson how he understood Bonson's position, hmm. it's just an audio, so you're having to visualize. You can almost see Bonson shaking his head. The Sproul kind of trails off. Oh, that's not what you mean? And here's what the issue was. Bonson said, no, we're not merely making an ontological point. We're not merely saying God is the precondition of knowledge. And Bonson goes on because that doesn't distinguish the two models, both the classical, and I think he's right, both yeah. the classical approach and the presuppositional approach would agree that God is the precondition of knowledge mm-hmm. because he's the creator. What makes the presuppositionalist distinct from the classical is the epistemological question of the assumption of God is the precondition of knowledge. In every place I've ever read any presuppositionalist trying to explain that, he always ends up explaining how God is the precondition. In fact, it's interesting, just before our conversation, I was just having a conversation with a gentleman in the lobby where we are, and uh, he is a presuppositionalist, and I pulled out a Van Til quote on one of my slides of one of my PowerPoint, and within one paragraph, he switches from the presupposition of the truth of Christianity is the precondition of knowledge to the truth of Christianity is the precondition of knowledge. Well, the latter I wouldn't disagree with. Again, he can do that because that being is what makes that assumption intelligible. So then you work from the assumption <laughs> because you have to assume that it has to be taken for granted um, or else you do not have intelligibility in the universe and inside of yourself. Yeah. So go ahead if no, you right say anything there, Dave. I need to do something real quick. Oh, well, so uh, with what Adam has put forward about the concept of the conclusions being the same, I think that you need to understand that classical apologist, at least from my understanding, doesn't really say in the same way that the presuppositionalist would that God is the precondition of intelligibility. Again, their starting point is that, uh, what they would say anyways, is that God has given you the uh, means by which to assess things from your own perspective, therefore coming to the conclusion that God is the precondition for intelligibility. So they're saying a similar thing, but in a different way. And so that's a really big key piece 
but I think everyone needs to make sure that they're understanding. Yeah. Adam, this, are you back, by the way? I, yeah, I don't have I, a live camera on you, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, so it's just like, yeah, it's the starting point and can you get there? And so this is still hovering um, those unanswered questions. Um, and it's the fact that, yeah, you, you, you do agree based on the authority of scripture of God and his attributes and what he has said about himself. You do that. But then whenever you do apologetics, it's just in the background, you're unconscious. It's unconscious. Like you believe in the resurrection because why? Not because of mere facts, because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in you. That's why you believe. That's what the scripture is. It says, I'm not going to believe you if you said, well, I came up to these facts. No, you didn't. The, soul, the Holy Spirit enabled you to spiritually discern the facts according to the authority of God. And whenever he decrees something to be, it is right. So that's, yeah, that's it. You know, so <laughs> let's keep continue here. That's exactly what the classical model would affirm. God obviously right. is a precondition. I like that distinction between the ontological kind of thing and then the epistemological. Yes. So what, what is it that motivates the presuppositionalist to adopt that view instead of the classical view? So this is one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about the integrity of the presuppositionalist like a Bonson. Mm-hmm. And that is, because I think they're right in this regard, as far as it goes that they're insistent that one's apologetic method should track sound theology. Mm-hmm. Now, people can debate what they think sound theology is, but pending a decision on that, the principle, I think, is, is, uh, is intact. Namely, since they are, at least Van Til and Bonson, are thoroughgoing Calvinists with a certain view about the noetic effects of sin and the fall and total depravity, then they think that this apologetic method is the only method that's possible given the uh, fallen estate that man is in. Is it just the fallen state, or do they also look at other scriptures to... Romans 1, for well, instance. Well, they certainly look at other scriptures in order to bolster the case that this is just, in fact, the way the Bible does apologetic. But mm-hmm. even in those instances, it's always because of this fallen state and the noetic effects of sin that, that man is in this, in this rebellion. As Romans 1 talks about, the, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Right. But what's interesting about that passage in Romans, it says the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen through the things that are made. Excuse. Mm-hmm. But those things that are clearly seen then are suppress the truth and unrighteousness as it indicts the human race and then exchanges the creator for the creation. So I see the classical model going, well, this whole problem of us ex- of uh, suppressing the truth in, in unrighteousness is really a moral problem. That's not an apologetic Exactly, issue. and that's what we're saying. can't undo someone's suppression of the truth and rebellion and against that's God. What that's what we're saying. God through the act of the Holy Spirit. But this right. exchanging the creator for the creation, I think, is where the apologetics comes in. It says, look, we can, we can leverage an argument to show that his exchanging the creator for the creation is just false. There yeah, is- so he, he doesn't understand that, again, we get in their car and show them that their worldview leads to absurdity we bring them into yes. our car and then we go because god has said this is what makes that intelligible so he is so unconsciously and this is what i said this is just inconsistent so the, the middle two um of what i actually said that actually exists evidentialism inconsistent evidentialism inconsistent presuppositionalism and presuppositional and reformed epistemology out of those four the middle two overlap and it depends on which way you want to go. Do you want to be evidential? Do you want to man circle or do you want to try to have God circle? And so he is in that weird, absurd spot, which, what is it? And he can't get away from, it has to be because God said so, but I'm not going to act it. So he becomes a, um, inconsistent evidentialist, but then that's right. Whenever he gets trapped into a corner with somebody, then he's an inconsistent presuppositionalist. He is unconsciously doing something in his practice that he knows in principle. So that's the cool thing about Dr. Howe is we like him. You know why? He's a presuppositionalist. And I know in the talk that we, <laughs> <laughs> the talk that we did before, um, you know, from the last two episodes, you know, he mentions that he, you know, that, that presuppositionalists do that all the time. Well, you're proving it. <laughs> you're proving it. So you, you, you get, you're in, you're, you're in it. Um, in a absurd point now sanctification um you know we hope and pray that uh you understand this and if you don't understand this you, again you're not it's not a, a sin to not understand this you know you're still you know dr howe is just proving that even with all the education in the world you can still there's still room to grow um you still don't know all things you still haven't like nobody has perfectly submitted themselves um to the lord even in their thoughts so you're just you know, he's just uh, showing that scripture is correct, <laughs> you know, and, and that I can view this from scripture and go, I am right because I line up with what the scripture says about people. So I can, I can do this out of knowledge, not out of a guess. That's right. It's the God that 
we know there to be. We can demonstrate it by sound reason. What they do with that, if they're going to continue to suppress that, that's between them and God. That's not anything that the apologists can, can touch. Such so I think the failure to sort of follow it through, they're clearly seeing attributes, then the truth is suppressed, and then the creator-creation is exchanged. It, it, the presuppositionalist sort of forgets that third step, and they think it's just merely a matter. It's clearly seen, and it's suppressed. Well, then if that's all the problem is, the only way to unsuppress it is not apologetics, it's evangelism. So indeed, a lot of presuppositionalists would almost say, in fact, I've heard them say things to the effect, really the task force is to preach the gospel, not to try to defend the gospel. Oh, yeah. So the gospel can't defend itself on your position, but that's what we're called to do. Um, so whenever you get into First uh, Peter 3.15, um, I've had it, uh, you know, I got to talk at SBU uh, last year, this yeah. is what I talked about. What is apologetics? Well, it's not debate. It's not what you see. Go to the scriptures and it tells you to be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. What is the hope that lies within you? It is the gospel. The God will defend himself. He will vindicate himself. The scripture says that he does the vindicating. He sent Jesus Christ to vindicate him for passing over former sins, right? God vindicates himself. We make a derivative appeal, not a autonomous appeal to this God. Um, and it, like he says, the Holy Spirit does the work. He can't do squat. Bonson couldn't do squat. I can't do squat. Dave, you can't do squat. You guys out there can't do anything. It is the spirit. And so we leave, we, we do what uh, the means is supposed to do and described in scripture, but we leave to God what is God's. And again, uh, at the very end of uh, John 3, those who come to the light, recognize that everything has been done in God and we bow in humble submission to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and thank him. And I go, well, but to defend the gospel is going to address that third level there where the creator is exchanged for the creation. So I think it's good that presuppositionalists have such a high view of Christianity and scripture. And that's one of the things they say that is bad with the classical approach is that you're not sort of assuming that Christianity is true and that's like the greatest good. That's the greatest thing to believe. And so how, but in a classical view, so for instance, when I'm giving a presentation on the Kalam cosmological argument, that doesn't necessarily lead all the way to Christianity is true. And that's right. one of the things that presuppositionalists don't like, that's is right. the fact that you're not going all the way to Christianity every single time, all the time. No. So here's and the fundamental difference. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> no, that, that was it. Oh, wait, um, yeah. Um, yes. yeah, yeah, if you don't mind. So I know we're kind of probably coming to the end of our, our time segment here for the day, and, and that's okay. But I think this is a great place to end, because what you're going to see here is the actual legitimate problem. Where is it that presuppositionalists get their approach to apologetics? Scripture. Read the book of Acts. All right, just to give you a, a little piece, right? There are 25 sermons in the book of Acts, right? Yeah. I have done a uh, an academic study on the 25 sermons. Now, this is in my lane 100%, right? So I, my research academically is in communication. Specifically, my undergraduate is rhetoric and public discourse. So doing a rhetorical analysis of the 25 sermons in the book of Acts, you have 10 major sermons in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, you have three major speakers of those sermons, right? Yeah. Peter, Stephen, gives one sermon, by the way. Uh, but Peter and Paul are your major speakers, right? So looking, though, at the three speakers of those sermons, right, real directly, you've got Peter, Stephen, uh, Paul. You can look at the way that they participate in apologetics, right? Every sermon is an apologetic defense of the gospel, right? And I yes. love, Adam, in your article that we will, of course, be presenting at the International Society of Christian Apologetics, you recognize that there's not only a um, defensive element to apologetics, there's the offensive element to apologetics, right? Yeah. So the defensive and then the declarative, right? Yeah. And so when you look at those sermons, uh, doing a generic analysis, which is essentially looking at the, um, the sermons as a genetic, a generic category to themselves, right? So just taking every sermon and lining them up to see the similar attributes, similar content, similar style, even looking at the context in which that they're uh, presented, you can find, without a doubt, the reality that their methodology is presuppositional. Yeah, I, would, I mean, I it's one of those things you can, you can on that. Yeah, and if you want to connect this to the Old Testament, because, you know, a lot of people try to, I mean, this isn't dispensational. This is covenantal, buddies. 
Okay. And um, I'm doing a deep study yeah. of Ecclesiastes right now, and it is stinking beautiful because the wisdom never left um, the, the preacher, right? He still says, wisdom's still with me. I tried to embrace my folly and all is vanity. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so you got an autobiography of my perception, my autonomous reasoning only leads me to cycles and circles of vanity, frustration. Uh, life is a vapor. All is meaningless and, and uh, chasing after wind, right? But his wisdom never left him, and he recognized that every good gift was from God. Well, you know, I believe that Ecclesiastes is Solomon. Who gave him the knowledge? Did he come into knowledge? Did he, or did he pray for knowledge and it was given to him? So even Solomon yeah. himself the preacher of Ecclesiastes was a presuppositionalist or covenantal (laughs) apologist. So, I mean, so you can connect uh, old and new testaments. It's the same. God is the same today, yesterday, and will be. And uh, we can see it and we can rejoice. So Adam, I want to, I know we're coming to the end, but I actually want to announce something that just occurred here today. What just occurred here uh, today, Dave? It appears, yeah, I am going to be engaging Stephen Miller on his radio program, Unconfused, uh, which is a live Christian talk show. Um, Pastor Stephen Miller, Unconfused, and he is in Lubbock, Texas. I'll All be right. talking to him on Wednesday. Um, next week, and we're going to touch base and discuss uh, at 10.15 a.m. Central, I believe that's Central Standard Time. Oh, this just happened, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fresh yeah, news. So, uh, so, I'll just, so uh, Wednesday, that's next Wednesday, 10.15 a.m. Central Standard Time, we're going to be debating uh, in somewhat of a, uh, I guess, semi-formal, informal debate dialogue. Uh, the King James Bible is God's uh, perfect word. Uh, this just kind of happened thanks Ooh. to Chris Bass and Travis Rennick. Uh, Travis doesn't get to debate them, but we'll probably organize a debate between Travis and Stephen Miller, uh, Pastor Stephen Miller, radio host. Uh, again, the uh, program that he uh, hosts is on, it's in t- Texas. It's an AM Christian uh, program, Monday through Friday, 10 to 10.30 a.m., uh, 580 a.m. Lubbock, Texas. All right. uh, you can also stream it, but uh, yeah. Um, well, we'll try so, to see if we can get that audio and uh, make sure that everybody um, that can't listen to it then um, can have it. So we'll try to yeah, make uh, that available as well. So that's awesome. Man. I'm, uh, I'm yeah, just looking forward to it. I've never engaged uh, me personally. I've never engaged the topic of uh, KJV only as I'm, I've read it, you know, so kind of cool stuff. Um, looking forward to that opportunity. It just kind of fell into our lap. Adam, I uh, uh, I apologize that I just kind of didn't even tell you that I was going to say that because you literally just it me. just happened. Yeah, so you so. did just tell me in the right <laughs> amount of time. It's totally appropriate. It's okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, looking so. forward to that. It'll be 10, 15 a.m. I'll be doing a little bit of preparation before then. Um, should be a fun uh, exchange. I don't know much about Stephen Miller except the fact that he is a Southwest Baptist University graduate. He is pastor of Temple Baptist Church. And again, he's a radio host. So really looking forward to it. Really excited for the opportunity to engage and to represent uh, Tagurit uh, podcast, uh, Missouri Baptist Apologetics Network and the International Society of Christian Apologists. So um, all good things. Man, uh, be really cool. if you made me a little poster, Adam, I don't want to be uh, well, send like, me, yes. to tell you what I have to do, yeah, but like, send, if you do a little something, I'd share it. Yeah, send me all the info. Cool. You know what my flyers yeah. look like, so just send me all the info and some pictures yeah, that you want to good. use, and I'll put it together for you. So we'll, Dude, we'll be thank good. you very much. So uh, exciting. Awesome. And an exciting thing, man. So yeah, I yeah, uh, really love this topic. Looking forward to uh, jumping back to our exchange with Dr. Howe and uh, Mr. Tucker. Really looking forward to it. I think, Adam, you and I are going to be bringing some interesting things to the table on this and uh, just hoping everyone can catch us live and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Yeah. yeah. All good so, things. So with that said, um, again, uh, all this has been uh, leading up to this part of our research. You guys got included uh, in our research and just uh, given us time to uh, just be put in a position um, publicly to 
um, work these things out with you guys. So we thank you for that. I hope this has been beneficial for you. But again, um, April 27th, um, please like and share the flyer, like and share the event page. Um, mark that you are interested in going and that, uh, that we can uh, have a really cool uh, live discussion, maybe uh, see if uh, um, we can get some of your guys' questions in there uh, directed to uh, the two tag teams that are going up um, in this this discussion together. But anyway, April 27th, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern time um, on, so yeah, Monday, April 27th, we'll be discussing inerrancy, philosophy, and apologetics um, with uh, Dr. Richard Ho. Or how and Adam Tucker from Southern Evangelical Seminary, but everybody, uh, we're I'll be in the studio with you. Yes, that's going to be awesome. I'm going to have a uh, another human in the studio, and it's going to feel nice. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, with that said, we have uh, come up, and we have taken up a lot of your time, and we appreciate you. And I know Dave has got to uh, get on to his pastoral duties, uh, but it's just awesome that he has an opportunity. Um, to have this um, just a continuing research and continuing um, speaking uh, about apologetics to the glory of God um, in Christ alone and all those kind of things. And so I know it's a, a good for him, a good practice for him and a good uh, ex- exhortation time and praise um, for him. So, but with that said, this is the Tag You're It podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. Soli. Deo. Gloria. Gloria.